0: Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. We are today in the final week of our, uh, our series in the book of Philippians, the series on relentless joy. And, uh, and wow, we've heard some really good teaching from this book, haven't we? Uh, it's, been, it's been tremendous. I've so appreciated the messages that, that we've heard, the wisdom that's been shared, and And today I'd like to to wrap up this series by talking with you about uh, a a lesson that we learn on our journey to joy. I love how Pastor Kevin shared last week that joy is a destination. Hope is our companion on that journey. That was very powerful and meaningful to me. Um, And I love this idea of, of being on this journey to joy. So today we'll talk about a lesson that we learn Along that journey, and that lesson is how to be content. If you know what it is to have joy, then you have learned how to be content. Paul tells the uh, Philippian church about his own experience of contentment in Philippians chapter 4 and starting in verse 10. Uh, And and our understanding here, uh, going into this passage, is that the Philippian church had supported Paul in some way, had provided some support, some financial uh, assistance for him. And he responds by saying this. He says, I was very glad in the Lord because now at last you have shown concern for me again. Of course, you were always concerned, but you had no way to show it. I'm not saying this because I need anything, for I have learned how to be content in any circumstance. I know the experience of being in need and of having more than enough. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every circumstance, whether full or hungry, whether having plenty or being poor. I can endure all these things through the power of the One who gives me strength. So Paul, uh, first of all, he, he's thanking the people for uh, for caring for him by sending provision when they had the opportunity to do so, and he seems to indicate that there maybe was a time when the church wanted to support him, uh, wanted to provide for him, but they were unable to do so. And we're not sure the details of that. Maybe it had to do with the circumstances of his imprisonment. Maybe he, remember he, he wrote this letter from prison. Uh, maybe there was no one able to make the journey to where he was or some other reason, we're not sure. But, uh, but here he is expressing his thanks for their concern both when they were able to show it and when they weren't, uh, but also for their provision. But then, this is so interesting to me, he he says, you know, thank you, he's so glad that they were able to provide but then he quickly goes on to basically say, not that I need anything, right? How does he say it here? Um, I was very glad in the Lord because you have shown concern for me. I'm not saying that because I need anything. And we might wonder about that, given what we know about Paul's life and ministry, because uh, there were some times when it sure looks like he needed some things throughout his his ministry. We know, like we said, at the time that he wrote this letter, he was in prison. Um, At other times, he was beaten, he was sick, he was injured, he was stranded. Uh, He experienced some times of very real need. But here, as he's thanking his fellow Christians for providing for him, he adds this disclaimer, "This like, I, don't, I didn't really need anything. And that might sound to us like he's kind of brushing off their generosity, or, or uh, you know, we might say, oh, you really shouldn't have. Um, but that's not really what he's saying here. What he's really getting at is that while he's truly grateful for these gifts that were given to him by his fellow Christians, He also would have been okay if those gifts had not been provided because, as he said in verse 11, I have learned how to be content in any circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have more than enough. I've learned the secret to being content, whether full or hungry or having plenty or being poor. Paul's life as a Christian was a wild ride. If you've read through uh, the New Testament, you see that things got pretty crazy at times. He, first of all, before he was a Christian, he lived for years as a legalist, as this this straight-laced Pharisee. But then he met Jesus in a very dramatic fashion, right? There's this heavenly light and this audible voice of God, and suddenly he's blind, and then he was healed. It's the whole nine yards, this very dramatic experience uh, of meeting the Lord. And from that moment on, things were pretty crazy for Paul. He experienced uh, times of need, but also times of plenty. Poverty and abundance and hunger and fullness, comfort, suffering, He developed deep relationships, real friendships with other believers, and he also experienced broken relationship and conflict and abandonment. And yet throughout his writings, we hear him speak of grace and peace and joy and contentment. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every circumstance. How did he do that? You know, the more that I've studied this passage, the more, uh, I, just, I just love it. It is packed with uh, course-correcting teaching. Paul very skillfully corrects two philosophies that would have been present uh, in the culture at this time. But then there's also a verse in here, and we've already read it, that sometimes has been misunderstood or maybe misapplied uh, within the church today. And we'll take a closer look at that as well and hopefully bring some clarity to better uh, be able to better apply its truth to our lives. Because we who are in the church today, we need ongoing clarification and course correcting just as the early church did, right? That's We have not arrived as the Christians who understand everything perfectly. Uh, so we will... We'll dive into that. The beautiful thing here is that um, the way that this scripture corrects us, both the early church and us here today, all of us, is by putting all of us back on the same course. Like the solution, the answer is the same for all of us, no matter how we may have strayed or misunderstood something. It's like Paul's saying, okay, here's the course. Here's the journey to joy. And, oh, you took a wrong turn. Come on back and, oh, you're off-roading, so you need to get back here. And that's a dead end. But we're going to pull you back all to the same path, the same course. It might, we might experience it differently, but it's all the same course. And we'll talk about what that course is in just a minute. But um, but let me tell you about these wrong beliefs that Paul was addressing here. The first way that Paul kind of offers this uh, course correction to his readers, to the church, uh, the Philippian church, was by dropping the word secret. He says, I've learned the secret. And you may remember that Pastor Kyle has has talked before uh, about a religious movement, a heresy really called Gnosticism, uh, which kind of worked its way, really worked its way into the early church. And while this letter to the Philippians was actually written before uh, Gnosticism was very organized or very widely identifiable, it was building. It was on the horizon. It was kind of the ideas were growing and it was mulling about the church. And one of these big ideas in Gnosticism was that, was that there was this secret knowledge uh, of God. And Gnostics believed that if they could just obtain that knowledge, then they would be able to uh, kind of reclaim what they believed to be their own divinity, kind of escape the confines of, uh, of humanity, which they saw as inferior. It was a focus on spiritual enlightenment. It was a heresy for a number of reasons. But Paul takes that language uh, of secret knowledge, and he just waves it like a banner. He's like, hey, are you looking for the secret? Look over here. I know the secret. Let me tell you about it. Paul was, uh, Paul was a skilled communicator, and he is known for having had the ability to speak to a diversity of people using uh, language and cultural references that were meaningful to them. I mean, the reality, of course, is that there are not secrets in Scripture. There's no secret in the good news of Jesus. That truth is open and available to everyone. No holds barred. But Paul uses the language of secrets, maybe a little ironically, to draw people in and point them to the truth. And then the other philosophy that Paul corrects here is uh, is called Stoicism, and it was well-established, had already been around for a few hundred years by the time Paul came around. And this may be more familiar to us because we still use that word Stoic today, don't we? Imagine for a minute uh, a person whom you might describe as Stoic. Not a real person, it doesn't need to be a real person. Just conjure up a person who you would think of as stoic. They're probably very serious, right? Very uh, emotionless. Maybe you are imagining a person who is just not moved by pain or by love. Kind of robotic. Well, stoics believed, uh, among other things, that they could find contentment Through self satisfaction. They believed that virtue is sufficient for happiness, and that if they practiced virtue, they would be free from the vulnerabilities of emotion. They believed that contentment contentment was a big idea for them, and they believed that it could be found within themselves because they saw no meaning in being attached uh, to anything or anyone outside of themselves. So in other words, contentment to a Stoic meant being completely satisfied with yourself. And Paul flipped that script again and said he had learned how to be truly content, and that contentment was not to be found in ourselves or in our own merit, but in Jesus. Paul rescued this idea of contentment from Stoicism, and then he shines the light of the gospel on it. And isn't that just what Jesus does? He takes our thoughts and beliefs and systems and stories, he takes our lives and says, let me show you what that looks like in light of me. Everything is made new when it's brought into the light of Jesus. I love how Paul shows The church, the church then, and also the church now, how to be content in the light of Jesus. So those were the two philosophies that he kind of uh, subtly addressed then. But then there's this idea today that has the potential to pull us off course. Uh, Paul tells us about, you know, the ups and downs that he's experienced and how he's learned to be content in all of it, right? He says... Uh, I know the experience of being in need and of having more than enough. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every circumstance, whether full or hungry, whether having plenty or being poor. And then he tells us the secret to contentment as a Christian. He says, I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. Now, this is one of the most well-known, popular, and frequently quoted verses in the Bible, but it's usually quoted uh, apart from its surrounding verses, and usually in a translation that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And unfortunately, it, it loses something. It loses some of its clarity Uh, in that particular English translation. And it has led some of us to believe that through the strength of Jesus, we have kind of Christian superpowers. We can accomplish anything we set our minds to. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is explaining how to be content with whatever we have, not how to get whatever we want. We have to understand this verse in the context of the entire passage. So if you have this verse highlighted uh, in your Bible, Philippians 4.13, I encourage you to make sure you also highlight verses 10, 11, and 12 because they go together. And together they give us uh, a picture of the complete truth that Paul is sharing. And that is really important because, because truth is complete, right? Truth is whole. And just because something isn't entirely false doesn't mean it's true. As followers of Jesus, we need to be people who seek the whole truth. So rather than than, uh, I can do all things, what Paul is saying to the Philippians is, I can endure all things. And that's very different. Imagine how this might Uh, apply to our lives and conversations if you've been around the church for very long you've probably heard this this verse used as encouragement you may have written it in a card i have i can do all things through christ who strengthens me what if we say i can endure all things through christ what if we uh what if we say to our kid before a soccer game all right honey remember You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Now go win. And then they lose. What does that tell them? What does that teach them about their faith or about their God? But if we teach our kids that no matter how the soccer game turns out, they can endure the outcome through the power of Jesus, who gives them strength now They have an opportunity to practice contentment, to to take a a step forward on their own journey to joy. And this is true. Uh, It's the same for each of us in our own experiences daily as well. So it's good for us to understand that Paul is not saying we can do all things. He is saying that we can endure all things. And then finally, and I love this, this is, um, Paul, Paul gives us the how. How to be content. Uh, This is the course correction that's offered to all of us, those in the early church who first read this letter and also to us today. It's the answer for those of us who may have veered off course, but also we're still on the right track, but we're just discouraged or we're tired or we're unsure. This applies to us too. We learn to be content by living in the power of Jesus, who gives us strength. The secret to contentment, as Paul explains it, is living in Jesus. Rather than living detached from everything but ourselves, we find contentment by living attached to Jesus. Rather than expecting that God will enable us to get whatever we want, by living in Jesus, we learn to be content with whatever we have. One scholar suggested that the verse could be best understood, best interpreted, like this. I can endure all these things in vital union with the one who gives me strength. That's where we learn contentment, right? One day at a time, one experience at a time in vital union with Jesus. And Jesus himself said that, right? In John uh, chapter 15, he said, remain in me and I will remain in you. And that's how we'll see fruit in our lives, fruit like joy. In fact, he goes on to say, Jesus goes on to say a little later in the same passage, I have said these things to you so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. Remain in Jesus. Stay with him. This is the journey to joy. And if you know what it is to experience joy, then you know what it is to be content because contentment is learned on the journey to joy. And so how do we remain in Jesus? How do we attach to him and stay with him? Well, very practical ways, right? We talk to him through prayer. We think about him by meditating on scripture. We confess to him when we have sinned. We listen to him through silence. We worship him with our praise and our work and our creativity and our rest. And within these things, there are many other rhythms and practices uh, to be found, acts of discipleship that will deepen our relationship with Jesus. Remaining in Jesus is a daily and a lifelong practice, and it is the secret to a life of contentment, and ultimately, then, to a life of joy. Now, I, I do, I do want to clarify this, hear this, that contentment, is not the same thing as complacency, right? Complacency is the the smug and lazy cousin of stoicism. It is being satisfied with ourselves and our lives to the point that we see no need to change anything. And there's no place for that in the Christian life because Jesus changes everything. And he calls us to join him in that work. Being content means that we can be at peace every step of the way, even as we work for uh, and witness the renewal of all things, the work that Jesus is doing. So I just I want to make sure that we're clear on the differences here. Well, as we wrap up this discussion today, but also our broader discussion that we've been having this last month or so on joy, joy. Um, I want to acknowledge that if you feel that joy is absent from your life, then these messages, these discussions these last several weeks, they might, have, uh, they might have been hard to hear. You may have felt uh, a sense of loss or sorrow renewed, and I want to say that that's okay, that that's okay, that we all experience loss and sorrow even on, especially on our journey to joy. Pastor Kyle talked about how suffering and joy are not mutually exclusive. In fact, uh, they frequently go hand in hand. But maybe if you are not experiencing joy and you've heard these messages, then maybe you have felt a sense of shame. And if that's true for you, friends, I just want to tell you that this journey to joy is a journey of grace and that grace is the antidote to shame cancels it out. When we see that joy is absent from our lives, we can ask God for help. And he will. He will help and he will do so with the tenderness and the wholehearted love of a loving parent. You know, when a child shows signs of distress or of pain, loving parents attentively search for the cause right we we, uh, we want it to begin to be remedied we want to find out what's wrong so the child's healing can begin so we check for fevers and we offer food and water and sometimes we make them lie down to rest and that is how it is with God as well we do not need to be afraid we do not need to be ashamed to bring ourselves to God and to say you know what Father, something's not right. I don't know how to be content. I don't have joy. Something's wrong. And we don't have to be afraid to do that because our loving God came not to judge us, but to save us. And like a parent, he wants us to come to him with everything, especially when we find that something's not right in our lives and we need help. Being in Christ means that we stay attached to Him, that we abide in Him, and so when we sense shame creeping in because we feel like something's not right, and somehow that brings a sense of shame instead of uh, instead of uh, a sense of grace, we can see that as our cue to hold fast and to draw even closer to Jesus, to not to give up, not to turn away, but to draw closer. Father, something's off. I'm not content. I've lost my joy. Can you just imagine Jesus kneeling down and looking you in the eye with all the tenderness and all the love of a parent and saying, okay, don't worry. We'll figure this out together. Here, sip some water. Lie down for a little while. I'll stay right here while you rest. Be encouraged, friends, because if you are willing to turn to Jesus, if you are willing to hang on to him, to stay in him, and to let him help you, then you can be sure that you are on the journey to joy and that your loving Father will see you through. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, thank you for your grace that is uh, our experience on our journey to joy. Thank you, Lord, that that no matter what we're experiencing in life, that through you and through your strength, we can be content. We can live our lives with a peace, with a calm, knowing that each day you will provide what we need for that day that we don't have to cling tightly to the things of this world, to our possessions, to ownership of anything, that we can live open-handedly because you've got us and because we can count on you and trust in you. Lord, help us learn how to be content in all circumstances as Paul did. We want to follow you in that way, and we know that this is part of our journey uh, to joy part of our journey to becoming more and more like you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn how to be content. And Father, for those who are experiencing a a loss, a sorrow in their lives, uh, people for whom joy may be clouded, God, I pray that you would bring a clarity to their vision that they would experience joy even in the midst of this sorrow, that deep, true joy that comes only from you. It doesn't mean the suffering or the sorrow will go away. We know that. But it means that by staying in you and abiding in you, we can have peace anyway. And we're grateful for that. And Lord, I want to pray especially for those who, who may wonder what's wrong, who may feel that, Uh, ashamed who may feel that they have somehow failed if they are not experiencing joy god i pray that that shame would be completely erased that it would just be gone from their hearts that their hearts would be filled with your grace instead and they would know that they are truly loved that you are their loving father and that you are here uh, for them that you are with them and that you are ready to help them on their journey to joy. God, we love you. We are grateful for, uh, for these words that, uh, that are in the scripture that we uh, can learn from and, uh, and just delight in, Lord. We delight in your message. We delight in your word. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Will you stand to sing this last